Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. We've got two readings this morning. First can be found in Habakkuk chapter 2, can be found on page 941 in the Church Bibles. Page 941, Habakkuk chapter 2, starting at verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. 
Our second reading is taken from Romans chapter 1. It can be found on page 1128 in the Church Bibles. Page 1128, Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ian, very much. Hello, friends, good to be here with you. May I extend the welcome of Pete's. Uh, for any of you who I don't yet know, um, particular hello, my name's Matthew, I'm a member of uh, staff here. Let's, uh, let's turn back to Habakkuk. That was our main text for today, page 941 in those Bibles. And I'll pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, please, by the power of your Spirit, open up this word to us, that we might hear and believe and be able to wait in faith. Please help all of us who are in need of comfort today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I consider myself incredibly fortunate that I have never been the victim of serious injustice. But I hear far too many stories of those who have. Staff meeting this week, we had one of our Ukrainian couples come along and tell us about their experience, and it was just awful. They told us of friends they knew who'd been killed by Russian soldiers, and friends they knew whose daughter had been raped. They saw people fleeing from Mariupol and coming to their city in just the most broken state. They themselves had to flee and come here. It's so terrible for so many people there right now, many of them good Christian people. I heard this week also about Christians in Qatar. Lots of people are talking about Qatar at the moment and many of the troubling things there. But it's also terrible for Christians. Did you know that? Only expats are allowed to go to church there. No visible signs of Christianity are allowed. Converting from Islam to Christianity is punishable by death. If not death, it could be loss of status or property or even children. It's horrible. I read recently a book about being a black man in America. He was talking about the phenomenon called driving while black. It's a play on the idea of driving while under the influence of alcohol. And they get in their car and they go out and they are terrified that they will be pulled over by the police and what might happen next. 
white men have no such fear. There's a real inequality and injustice. I hear stories of the abuse women face, stories from some of you here at church, from low-level misogyny, to being frightened out on the streets on your own, to being groped on nights out, all the way through to full-on domestic or sexual abuse. It's awful. I hear of people being bullied at school, I hear of people being bullied at work, I hear of older people being taken advantage of by workmen. I hear of vulnerable people being neglected by their doctor or their GP surgery. I hear of malicious complaints being made. I hear of sincere complaints being made but ignored. It makes me rage and I'm not even the victim. These things happen in life. These things happen to Christians. These things are happening to some of us right now. And so we're sad. We're puzzled. The terrible things are plain to see, but what God is doing is very hard to see. It feels like He's being idle. Have you ever felt like that? That's what Habakkuk was feeling at this point in his letter. Last week, Pete explained that Habakkuk was a prophet in Israel around 600 BC before the exile, and it was a time of wickedness in the land. God had, uh, he'd called out to God. He was expecting perhaps a reforming king to come in and sort out all the problems uh, to make things better, but he's told it's actually going to get worse. The Babylonians are coming, and are going to take them into exile. And it's hard to understand. God is meant to be holy, but he's tolerating these things. Last week ended with Habakkuk waiting for an answer. 2 verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And so today, we see the answer which God gives. It's a fuller answer than his first answer. And we know that it's more significant because Habakkuk's told to write it down, verse 2, put it on tablets so that heralds can run with it and share the message with other people. Like the Ten Commandments were put on tablets, so this answer needs to go on tablets. What's the answer? In the end, God will judge all wickedness. No one will get away with anything. That will be our main point for today. We'll spend most of our time on that. I will follow up with two two shorter points afterwards. But this is our main point. In the end, God will judge all wickedness. In lots of aspects of life, we have to wait, don't we? Waiting in a queue waiting on hold, waiting for the results to come through, waiting for the next family visit, waiting for the next holiday, waiting for the next episode of that show to come on that you want to watch. Though these days they just sort of uh, put them all up, don't they, so that you can binge watch them because we're not very good at waiting. There are things that we want, but we can't have them just yet, so we have to wait. And this is one more thing, though far more significant than those others, we have to wait 
to the end, for when God will judge all wickedness. End of verse 3, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. What we then get in this chapter are five declarations of woe. Do you know the word woe? It's, it's not a you know, common English word. We don't really use it, do we? It's meant to be like a noise, a shout of anger and justice, a, a call for, for disaster and judgment to come. Woe! And here we get five woes declared on the wicked enemy. Primarily, this is the Babylonians, but the shoe fits for many others, for empires which would follow, for cultures around the world, and to be honest, it fits in some way for all people, even us. Let me read the first woe in full, verse 6. Will not all of them, that's the people who've been taken captive, Taunt him, that's the Babylonians, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations, the people's who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to you. The tables will be turned. They've stolen goods. They've become wealthy at the expense of others. But soon justice will turn back on them. The next two woes develop that idea in verses 9 to 11. It's talking about the Babylonians. They've built this great city with huge, strong walls. They thought they were safe. No one would ever be able to defeat them whilst they continued their ruin of the nations around them. But it was their shame. Their strong city cried out against them, and it all came tumbling down. Only 50 years later, they were defeated by the Persians. Verses 12 to 14 are the third woe. Continuing this idea, their city, it was built by bloodshed. They'd taken all those people and used them in slave labor. So they are defined to the core by injustice. So the Lord Almighty has determined that they are destined for fire. Hasn't this been the case uh, throughout history? With empires, we cycle through this. Empires rise, they conquer nations, they take advantage of the defeated peoples, and they get rich from them, even the British Empire. But woe to them. They will all fall in the end. And there's this right cry to pay back for injustices done. COP27 just recently, they've agreed to a package to help pay back the victims of climate change. It's an attempt to right the wrongs. But it's not just nations and empires. Many individuals get rich and powerful at the expense of others. And we, we think of multimillionaires, but don't just think of the big businessmen, the, the oligarchs. 
They're the extreme end of our society, aren't they? But it's anyone who takes advantage of their staff, barely paying them enough. Or taking advantage of their customers, pressuring them into things which aren't really good for them. Or taking advantage of your patients. In the medical world, you know, there are ways that you can get a better fee, maybe. It's not always the best thing for the patient, yet they'd never know. It's us as consumers who want the cheap clothes, who want the cheap and speedy delivery, and we don't think about the people who make it happen for almost no pay. We see those worst excesses, but we must also see the same heart within each one of us. And maybe our homes will testify against us, or our cars, or our clothes. Woe number four, verse 15, themes of drunkenness and judgment get mingled together here. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. In their culture, they must have celebrated drinking, but it seems also there must have been this sort of forcing others to get drunk against their will. Maybe the captured people exposing their nakedness for a laugh or maybe for abuse. And it sounds almost familiar, dangerously close to home, a man plying a woman with alcohol with the hope of taking advantage of her. A step further are these date rape drugs. Slip one into her drink, she'll lose control, she'll have no memory of what happens. It's horrific, but scarily common. Woe to them. But it's also just the sharpest end of our culture. Our culture celebrates drinking. Our culture is highly sexualized. And even us as Christians, we drift into it. I imagine only very few of us haven't joined in the drinking and had too much. Only very few of us haven't enjoyed the sight of a naked person in reality or in our imagination. So verse 16 hits us all. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you and disgrace will cover your glory. God hates these things. His cup of wrath is coming and that will be drunk instead. The cup of judgment, the cup of punishment. And the final woe, verses 18 to 20, we'll pick up more on this in a moment, but the point here is that idols are lifeless creations. They will not save them when the true judgment of God comes. But the overall point, in the end, God will judge all wickedness. The wicked people in Jerusalem, which started the whole book, they won't get away with it. The Babylonians, even more wicked, they won't get away with it. Nor with the next empire, nor the next wicked ruler, nor any other corruption. No level of wickedness is ignored by God. It will all be judged in the end. 
So for those of us in distressing situations, this means it will come to an end. Justice will be done. God is not tolerating it. He's not letting them get away with this. He feels it as much as we do. In fact, he hates it even more than we do. And when we're so powerless that we can't do anything about it now, God says he will do something in the end. Those Russian soldiers doing terrible things because nobody's holding them to account, those generals who are encouraging them, Putin himself, God will bring them to justice. Or that bully who no one seems willing to stop. Or your abuser who got away with it. They will face God in the end. But what's so hard is that he's waiting. If this is you today, please know that the wait doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Justice will come in the end. But look, this also lands for us as perpetrators of wickedness. The judgment of God should make us wake up and consider how we stand before him. And God waiting gives us a chance. You know, God's been waiting an awful long time. He was waiting from the fall all the way back then, all through the Old Testament. God was waiting and largely leaving sin unpunished. He was waiting for the coming of Jesus. And then Jesus came 600 years after the ministry of Habakkuk. And and the surprising thing is that he didn't actually bring the promised judgment. Actually, he took it. That cup in the garden of Gethsemane, he accepted it. He went to the cross And he clothed himself in shame rather than glory. Violence was done to him. He was taunted at. He was scoffed at. They gazed at his nakedness. He shared it with all of us. With you. He knows what it's like. And we know that this was so that humans could be saved. If God hadn't waited for the Savior to come then everyone would have been destroyed in the judgment. There was no one righteous, not even one. But God waited and he sent Jesus and God is now still waiting. Waiting to give people a chance to respond before the second coming of Jesus when time will finally be up. And think of the different people for whom God waiting was just long enough. Think of the thief on that cross. God gave him a chance just before he died. And he found mercy from Jesus. Or someone like John Newton, an Atlantic slave trader. God let him get away with that for a while, long enough that he might hear the gospel and find forgiveness for all his terrible sins. And then he became a preacher. And he wrote amazing hymns like Amazing Grace. Think of the people who've been converted here at church just in this last year. Isn't it special that God waited long enough for them to be saved? And for those, uh, all of us even, 
God waited long enough that we might be saved. For those not Christians here today, you still have time because he is graciously waiting. The judgment of God is coming. It's very good news because there are real wrongs which need writing, but our wrongs also need writing. So unless we take refuge in Jesus, we will face that judgment too. That's the main thing to take away from this passage today, but I'd like briefly to point to two other things in this section. So secondly, in the end, God will show his glory to the world. In the end, God will show his glory to the world. In the middle chapter of the book, in the middle woe, verse 14 stands out. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the end... God will be seen to be glorious across the whole world. Glory is God's wow factor. It's how good and how powerful he is. And right now, people can't see it. People are questioning his goodness, questioning his power, because all this bad stuff is happening, and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. But in the end, when judgment and salvation comes everyone will see that the God of Christianity is the true God and he did what was right. No one will question. No one will complain. I think the final woe uh, builds up to this point too in, in verse 18. It's talking about all these gods which the Babylonians and the other nations are, are, are worshipping and it's talking about how they are just man made idols. They were carved by a craftsman. They cannot speak. They cannot come to life. There is no breath in them. And worshipping today is is often the same thing. It's worshipping idols, worshipping man-made things. Some today still do do worship man-made statues. When I lived out in Southeast Asia, everywhere you went, at like the entrance to blocks of flats or on the side of the road, little statues with gifts that had been offered before them. But others are uh, not necessarily worshipping physical objects. Others are worshipping th- gods which are the product of our imagination. Gods that are just like humans but a bit more special. Or more modern even is not having something called a god but treating like God things that we achieve. Individually, it could be our successes, our careers, our houses, our families, things we've produced which now give us joy and security and we live for them. Or as a society, it could be our progressive culture. We're so sure of its goodness, but you know, just as, uh, just as much as a man-made statue is no thing to guide us, nor is our man-made culture. These are all held in contrast with the Lord, the Creator, the one who is alive and who speaks and who acts. Verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. When he comes in judgment, 
it will be clear he is the only God and he did what was right from beginning to end and we will all be silent before him. How does that help us in our distress when we're sad and puzzled at what's going on? Well, it means that in the end, we will not be disappointed. We'll see what he does and be amazed. If you're a Christian who has been worn down by relentless wickedness and injustice, this is a promise for you. Right now, you cannot fathom what God is doing. As Pete said last week, it's okay for you to be crying out in distress, but know that in the end, you will be satisfied. But it takes faith to believe this. And that leads us to our final point. For now, we wait in faith. For now, we wait in faith. Just one line from verse 4. In contrast with the wicked, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Or more literally, the righteous will live by faith. What's expected of Christians as we live in this world, as we endure through distressing times, it is to trust what God says, to hear his promise that he will judge and save and to believe it. So much of life is trusting what people say, isn't it? The mechanic looking at your car, the doctor looking at your test results. If I look at them, I've got no idea what it means. It's a mess to me, but I listen to what they say. Because they know. And that's Christianity. We don't understand what we see. We look around. It's chaos. It's a mess to me. But God speaks to us. us. He says, I will make everything right in the end. I know. And I've made a way for you to be saved. We just believe what he says. The righteous will live by faith. This becomes a really important verse in the New Testament, actually. Um, Paul and other writers quoted at significant moments when explaining the heart of Christianity. Uh, You can look some of these things up later if you wanted. How are we saved? You can go to Romans 1 or Galatians 3. Well, Paul says the righteous will live by faith. We believe the message of the gospel. And how do we carry on in the Christian life when things are hard, when opposition is coming, when we're doubting? Well, again, you go to Galatians 3 or now Hebrews 10. And the answer, we endure by continuing to believe what we hear from God. The righteous will live by faith. We'll develop this idea fully next week. But as we close, what does this mean for us? We're going to see terrible things, distressing things that we won't understand, but we won't be overwhelmed by them or give up on God because of them. Instead, we'll believe what we hear. God says, in the end, he will make everything right. And he asks us to wait in faith. Advent is a time when we learn to wait. In many families, we're waiting for Christmas Day for my boys. It's going to be killer. It feels like it's never coming. But at this time, we remember how they waited for the arrival of Jesus for for hundreds of years. And we also learn to wait for Jesus' second coming. We long for it. 
We long for an end to wickedness. We long for justice. We long for salvation. So friends, now in this season, let's learn to wait in faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we hear your word and we believe it. Thank you so much that you're a God who's alive and speaks and acts. And you do not tolerate wickedness. You will bring judgment in the end. Lord, give us comfort. Give us hope. And give us faith as we wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.